Emotions are part of our lives. They make up who we are and how God wired us to live. Emotions can be our greatest strengths when under control or our worst weaknesses when left unchecked. They can limit our potential and even enslave our lives. With God's help, we can master our emotions and learn to live in emotional freedom. It's God's word that helps us to keep calm and get a grip. Well, the time of worship this morning has been fantastic, hasn't it? I need this. I need this. In fact, I, I got to have three services. You've been to one, I've been to three, and I, I, I love every one of them. It, every one of them feed me, and I know this time of worship has done that for you as well. There was a woman who was in her 80s, and uh, she was sort of a notable person in this median-sized city, and, and uh, so the occasion of her, her wedding she, she married her fourth husband, made the news, and so the, the, they sent a, a reporter to go talk to her and, and interview her. And while they were interviewing her, the guy asked her, well, tell me about your, your new husband. What does he do? She said, well, he owns a funeral home. He, he's a funeral director. And they said, well, that's really interesting. What, what about your other three husbands? And she said, well, when I was in my 20s, I married a banker. And in my 40s, I married an actor. And in my 60s, I married a preacher. And now, in my 80s, I married a funeral director. So that's really interesting. Why, why did you, a, a banker, an actor, a preacher, a funeral director, why? And she said, well, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four, two, there you go. There it is. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the subject of depression, and I thought we needed a good laugh before we got started in this subject. <laughs> Most of us in this room, from time to time, have ups and downs, and maybe all of us have times in which we experience depression. That's just maybe it's just part of life in which we have high moments in our life, we have low moments in our life. And those low moments sometimes we find ourselves in the depth of depression. And maybe this is just normal and everybody experiences it. But there are some who experience a, a greater level of pain and a greater depth of depression and experience what is really called chronic depression. According to the National Institute of Health, the number one psychological problem in America is the issue of depression. And the latest stats that I was able to find was in 2016 that over 40 million American adults experience deep throes, deep bouts of depression. Not, not just uh, the ups and downs that other people experience and they go through such great pain. People that I've talked to have told me that it is totally debilitating. 
that it is extremely painful. The incredibly gifted and brilliant and talented godly individuals, there are many that have experienced exactly that. The, the depths of deep, painful, hurtful depression. I think in the Bible about Moses, I just, if you read the story of Moses' life, I just last week did, went through his life. And if you read all of his life, all the way through, you will see periods of time that's pretty frequently in which he just reaches the depth of depression. And he's back there again and back there again and back there again. He was one of the greatest men who ever lived. One of the greatest spiritual individuals who ever lived. Yet he struggled with this area of depression. Uh, Jonah prayed and said, oh God, just kill me. Jeremiah, if you read about Jeremiah's life, it appears to be that Jeremiah, all his adult life, went through one dip after another after another, very close to each other of deep-seated depression. People that are great individuals who have made an amazing difference in our lives. For instance, Abraham Lincoln, if you read anything about his life, you will read that depression was a major key in his life. Just deep throngs of depression and, and struggles that he went through. It was very hurtful, very difficult for him. Winston Churchill, I mean, where, could, where would we be? The entire known world today, where would we be without Winston Churchill and the impact that he made during World War II? And yet, he struggled with this issue of depression in his life. Beethoven, great writers uh, like um, Charles Dickens. Did you know that I had read that Almost every one of the great comedians, almost all the great comedians actually suffer with deep depression. Isn't that interesting? Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest, it may be the greatest preacher that ever lived. If a, a preacher, a pastor is ever compared to Charles uh, Spurgeon, well, he's coming out on the, the bad end on that thing. Charles Spurgeon was the, maybe he was one of a kind. He was the most amazing preacher, most amazing pastor of his day. But did you know, the best I know, he lived all of his life from time to time in deep-seated depression. In fact, if you take all of the individuals that are great men and women who have made a great difference in this world, who are godly people, who, who loved the Lord, who, who lived a deeply spiritual life, you will find person after person of these very talented, brilliant individuals, person after person, from, who, will, who experienced the depths of depression far more than just ups and downs of normal life. I am not going to address chronic depression today because I, I'm, not, I, I'm not worthy of it. I, I, I don't have the training of it. I would not do a good job of it. I'm not sure I'd help anybody. But I, my heart goes out to individuals because if there's 40 million people, adults across America that are experiencing this issue, there's got to be some in this room right now. And my heart goes out to you 
for the pain and the difficulty that you go through and sometimes just suffering silently and no one really knows. And my heart goes out to you. I'm not qualified to deal with the subject, but I, I got to tell you, I pray for you and I'm, and I'm so sad for what you're experiencing. What I do want to address is this issue that all of us do experience from time to time in which in the midst of some event in our life and struggle in our life that we experience depression. I want to talk to you about that very thing. We're in a series entitled Get a Grip. Coming to emotional freedom and learning how to do that. And we're dealing with really the major emotions. Last week was about stress. Uh, Today about depression. Next week, uh, Pastor Richie is going to be dealing with the issue of worry. And and, uh, I'm going to be dealing with loneliness. And then we'll be dealing with regret and other emotions that people experience. We want to deal with these kinds of things and find out what the Bible teaches us about how to live in freedom. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of depression. There is one one passage of Scripture that is such a powerful one, maybe the best one in the entire Bible, that actually addresses this subject. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to read this passage to you right now. Would you follow along? I think I've got it there in, in your notes. 1 Kings chapter 19 and beginning in verse 1. Now Ahab, who is the king of Israel. Stop for just a minute. Israel is, has experienced a civil war by this time, much like America experienced a civil war. But in our situation, the end result of the civil war is that we were back together again. But in Israel, that was not the case. And when they experienced a civil war, they split apart and never came back together again. The northern part kept the name Israel. The southern part took on the name Judah And now you can call them Jews because that is what it means from people from Judah. The northern kingdom departed from God. The southern kingdom remained with God. So Ahab is the king in the northern kingdom. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah and Elijah's God's prophet. There we go. Here it goes. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of her prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. In other words, I got a contract out on you. And you you got 24 hours at the most, and I'm going to kill you. You're dead meat. This is what she's saying. Well, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, the southern kingdom, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under that tree and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. There's three main characters to the story. I've tried to sort of introduce you to them as we've gotten started here. Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he, of all things, can you believe this? He is trying to get everybody to forsake, no longer worship Jehovah God. This is Israel. No longer worship Jehovah God, but to worship a false god called Baal. His wife, Jezebel, 
became his wife because he he was uh, trying to build a treaty, a peace treaty with another country. She was the daughter of the king of that other country. And so that king gave his daughter to Ahab so that sort of cements their peace agreement with each other. And when she comes to Israel, she brings the God of her country, Baal, and convinces Ahab he needs to be now our new God. Elijah's the third person, and Elijah is the prophet of God. He's a godly man. He's a powerful man. It's amazing the miracles that God performed using this guy named Elijah. So what happens? God says to Elijah, I want there to be a contest. We're going to come bring this thing to a head. I want you to gather as many people that will gather together. And there were tens of thousands of Israelites that gathered. And and I want a contest. And you have the prophets of Baal to be there. You be there representing me. And the contest is when the sacrifice is offered, whichever God brings fire from heaven down and consumes the sacrifice, he's God. Well, I'm telling you, Bell didn't have a shot because he's just a pile of rocks is all he is. He's a, he doesn't exist. He's not, there's, he isn't a god. He's, a, he's some piece of wood that's been carved, a bunch of rocks on top of each other. That's all it is. So when the prophets of Baal begin to cry out, nothing happens. But when Elijah just says, Lord, show him your stuff, and the fire comes down from heaven and, and destroys everything, all the sacrifice and all that sort of thing, and the people begin began to exclaim, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And a revival breaks out. The most amazing thing happens. It is a high moment. It is a grand moment. It is a fantastic moment. And the people turn their heart back to God. And then Jezebel puts a contract out on Elijah's life, and he runs like a baby, runs like a coward. And the further he runs from his problem, the deeper he goes into depression. In this passage of Scripture, he really shows us how it is that we become depressed, what happens to us, and then how it is that we can come up out of that depression. I want us to look at both of those things he teaches us in the passage. First of all, how does depression happen? You think about this story, and the deeper he gets into the story, the more depressed he becomes. So how does that happen? Well, the first thing is this. In a moment of weakness, Elijah forgot all about God's power, all about God's promises, and focused only on the threats against his life. Elijah does what God tells him to do. He gathers everybody together on a place called Mount Carmel. And if you've ever been to Israel, more than likely you've been to this mountain. And as you look over the platform and down the valley, you see probably the area on Mount Carmel in which this took place. Elijah did exactly what God told him to do. And the fire comes down from heaven and it laps up the sacrifice. And there is this humongous moment, this great mountaintop experience that everybody has. How many of you have ever had a mountaintop experience before? Anybody in the room? I have. I've had a bunch of them. I, I, when I've gone to, to 
a youth camp or some other camp or during times in which, you remember when churches used to have what we called revivals and had revivals and I had saw God's spirit move in those things and, and God worked in my heart and people come to know Christ as Savior. People that are saved really com- recommit their heart to God. God has used those kinds of moments in my life. They were great mountaintop experiences. But let me just tell you, mountaintop experiences can be one of the most dangerous times in your life. There's this great emotional moment, but on the other side of that mountaintop of emotion, all of a sudden there's a deep valley. This is exactly what happens to Elijah when this this, uh, uh, death threat comes out. You would have thought, wouldn't you? He just saw fire come from heaven for crying out loud. You would have thought he would have said to her, bring it on, girl, I don't care what you do. Because God's got more fire, right? And God will just bring down fire on you. You would have thought he would have stood up to her and said, "Ah, come on, bring it on. But he doesn't do that. All of a sudden, he gets swallowed up in the threat, and he forgets everything that just happened in his life, and he runs for the hills as though God's on vacation somewhere. Emotions can be our best friend, but they can also be our worst enemy. Emotions out of control can shut down our common sense and all reason and make us forget how powerful our God is. Some of you may be thinking, okay, hey, look, I, I love God and I'm into God and I believe in God, but I'm going to tell you, you don't understand. What I'm going through is real life. I'm going through a real-life problem here. Yeah, but to, to even say something like that is to say, wait a minute, isn't God real life? Isn't God's presence and his power and his promises to you, isn't that also real life? When we face a threat, there is a temptation to let our emotions control our lives instead of being willing to see God in the middle of the moment. And my question to you, is this, what, is this what's happening to you? Is this what you're going through? You love God, you love His Word, you're facing some threat in your life, and all of a sudden that threat is swallowing you up, and you have forgotten all about God and His promises and His power. There's a second thing that's happening in the passage, and that is at His most vulnerable moment, Elijah separated himself from his supportive relationship. Look at what happens in verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he's gone all the way to the southern kingdom now. He's in Judah. He left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. When I was reading this story, I wondered, what is a broom tree? If you wonder that when you've said, here is a picture of a broom tree. And if you look at a broom tree and you are out in the desert and you see this tree, you're heading for this tree right, out in the desert, because it's got to be 10, 15 degrees cooler underneath that tree. And so when he sees the tree, he heads right for the tree, and under the tree, he falls fast asleep. Now, in this story, you could miss something very important. 
He left his servant there and went alone another day's journey into the desert. When he says he left his servant there, it means he left his trainee. This is his understudy. This is his disciple. He is discipling this young man. And right now, this is the only guy that probably likes him in the world. This is probably the only friend that he's got in the world. This is probably the only guy that believes in him in the world. Elijah left his friend and helper, and he went on alone. He should have never done that. He needed this guy. But can I tell you, so many Christians do exactly the same thing. You start going through problems and difficulties and struggles. You start maybe experiencing depression in your life. Well, I'm not going to church today. I'm not going up to that, to, at that church while I'm in all this trouble, while I'm going through all these problems, when I am so discouraged and I'm downhearted. I'm not going to that church. Every time I see people in that church, all they do is smile. Well, I don't feel like smiling today. I don't want to smile at anybody. And all those people, they have no trouble. They have no problems. Look at all the smiles on their faces. I got trouble. I'm not going back to church. Because there is a view that says church is only for well people. Church is for every people. And there's sometimes every one of us are well. And there's sometimes that every one of us aren't well. All of us are going through hurtful times, hard times. Look, we're all in the middle of this real world. We're all experiencing life, and there are times in which we're in pain and struggle and heartache and difficulty, and we don't know what in the world we're going to do. And when we see people smiling around us, they're just trying to be friendly. The truth is what we don't see are the tears inside many of their hearts. The last thing we need to do is to separate us ourselves from other people that are going through life like we're going through, that are going through the struggles we're going through, who are wanting to live for God like we're wanting to. We need to keep sharing our lives with others. I got to tell you, the worship time this morning was fantastic, and we needed it. We needed to hear the greatness of our God and to be able to sing with our lips the greatness of our God and be reminded of it. Didn't we need that this morning? We need the time of worship here. And if we separate ourselves from that, we lose something that is so critical to our lives. You see, all the people in this room, we need to know we're not alone. That there are other people trying to live for God. There are other people trying to, 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 to obey God and to do what God wants in their life. And we need to be in small group. We need to sit around and read the Bible together and study the Bible together and hear someone teach and us be a, answer, uh, ask questions and get answers to our questions. We need to share life with each other. So when you're going through hard times, this is not the time to say, I'm not going up to that church. This is not the time to separate yourself from your supportive relationships. This is the time to say, I'm going to church today. I might be the only one to frown with my face, but I'm going to church today because I need to be around some other people who know Jesus and know how to live for him. 
So what happened was, was the first thing, he forgot all about God. All focus was on the problem. And second of all, he, he separated himself from supportive relationships. He should have never done it. Third of all, he, Elijah was making decisions when he was physically and emotionally exhausted. He had been traveling by foot all this way. He had gone quite a ways now. And now into the desert for a day, the guy was worn out. He was emotionally and mentally and even spiritually worn out. Verse 4, and while he himself alone went a day's journey in the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Just take my life. He's exhausted. And fourth, weakened, Elijah gives in to self-pity. Listen to what he says. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What does that even mean? I don't know. I'm just saying words. I don't know. He's just, he is so depressed. He is just so depressed. And he replies in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to, to death with the sword. And look at me. I'm the only thing you got left, God, in the whole universe. I'm the best thing you got left. Look at me. And they're trying to kill me too. God, you're in a pathetic situation. Seriously. I mean, he's saying these things. I'm, the, I'm all you got left. And they're trying to kill me too. Have, have you ever had a pity party? Come on, don't be spiritual. Don't act like you. You have been. Man, I can put on pity parties. You, you remember the song? Some of you do not remember this song because it, it's, it, you got born after the song. And, but um, it's my party. And I'll cry if I want to, cry if I want to, cry if I want to. You would cry too if it happened to you. You know the song I'm talking about? And I will not sing the whole thing because everybody would be crying by the time I got finished with this song. We can, look, we... Yeah, we get overwhelmed with life, and we can put on a pity party, can't we? And that's what he's doing. And when we do it, we tend to exaggerate our situation. We tend to only see the negative. We paint the world dreary and dark. And here's just a word of advice for every one of us in this room. In the middle of the pity party, remember this. Don't believe any conclusions you come to. Because more than likely, every conclusion you come to isn't true anyway. It just makes you feel good, but it's not really true. And second of all, don't do anything you want to do in the middle of a pity party because more than likely, it's just exactly the wrong thing to do. Don't go there. This guy is in a mess. And some of y'all are right there today. I'm sorry. You're right there today. So how do you get out of this? I, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about how do you get out of chronic depression. And I, I am so sad that for those of you who are going through this, I cannot give advice with this. But I can give advice from this passage of Scripture about the moments of depression that we experience. 
there really is a way out of this depression. So let's take a look at what he teaches us. First of all, he teaches us regroup physically. Regroup physically. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, Elijah prays, God, just kill me. Aren't you glad that God does not answer all of our prayers? Aren't you, aren't you so glad he doesn't, he doesn't do everything we ask him to do? In verse 5, he says, Then Elijah laid down under the tree and fell asleep, and all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. There is so much in that verse. See, what Elijah really needed was sleep. And when he had had a nap, God woke him up, and there he had, right there in the desert, he had a catered meal that came in. Where I don't know where it came from. There it is. Had a catered meal right there in the desert, and he said, just get up and eat. And he ate, and you know what he does next in the story? He goes back to sleep. And then when he wakes up, guess what? He's got another catered meal right there. No sermons, no fire from heaven, no lightning bolts. What's wrong with you? Why are you being so bad? None of that from God. Why? Because God understands who we are. He understands our makeup. He understands you and me. You know what? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in the whole world is to take a nap. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear this? See, yay God, I'm at church and I'm so this afternoon go take go take a nap. And then wake up and eat chocolate. This is what you do. And if you didn't get your nap out, take another nap. And then wake up and eat more chocolate. I'm going to tell you this. You get a little sleep and you eat some chocolate and the world's very different. The whole world, the whole world is very different now. And this is part of what happens. And God just says, Elijah, just turn the cell phone off and go to bed. Go to sleep. Get some rest. Come on. Unplug. Go take a nap. That's the first thing that needs to happen. Just get back physically. Get back physically. Recognize, hey, I'm worn out. This is what's really going on. Second of all, let yourself start hearing God again. Let yourself start hearing God again. The Bible says in verse 9 that then he went to a cave and he spent the night there and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when God asks us a question, it's not to get information. He doesn't need information. It is for us to have a greater understanding of ourselves. So what are you doing? What, what's happening, Elijah? And in this conversation, he shows Elijah two key things. First of all, that God has never left him, and that God is still in charge. This is the first thing. I'm still in charge, Elijah. I'm still in charge. And second of all, that God usually speaks most powerfully in our lives through a still, small voice instead of through dramatic events. I thought it was... It's, uh, interesting timing. This week, I don't know if you heard this story. I didn't actually read everything related to the story, so I don't know all the details. But the little bit that I saw was or read was that uh, Mike Pence, who's the vice president 
of the United States, um, made a statement that he had been praying, seeking God's will about something. He felt like God had revealed his will, his will to him. Now, I, I, look, when it comes to politicians, and if, if you're a politician, please don't take offense, but when it, when it comes to politicians, sometimes you don't know, you know, about how serious their whole claims are about God, okay? But I've read Mike Pence's testimony. I believe that he is he's a born-again Christian. I do. I actually believe that because I've read his testimony. So did you know... This might be a shock, but there are Christians who are Democrats and Christians who are Republican. I know this may be a shock, depending on where, which direction you are in this, but on the people on the other side, there are actually born-again Christians on the other side. I think he is one. Well, what happened is, is that after he made some statement, I think it was just offhand, but I didn't read everything about it. One of the people on The View, I don't know anything about The View, it's not my show. I don't even know when it comes on. I don't know who even is on The View. But one of the people on The View, a woman, I believe, said that uh, commenting about that comment of the vice president said that anybody who says that they heard from God is mentally ill. Now, I don't think Pence said he heard a voice. I think he just talking about in his heart, he heard, and uh, this person says that he's mentally ill. Said he is mentally ill. Well, here's the, the straight of this. There are some people with who I've heard have said, uh, God told me to kill a bunch of people. I've heard some people say, God told me to do this awful, terrible thing to somebody else. And I already know that he, God did not tell them to do these things. Why? Because God would never tell us to do something that violates his word. And so I think maybe, maybe they are mentally ill. But here is the truth. God also does speak to us. When we go to God and say, God, I need you to show me what you want me to do. I need you to show me your will. I need you to direct my life. God speaks to us, and that is not mental illness. She said, well, how do I know which one it is, mental illness or not? Because God will only speak to you in a way that is affirmed by his word. He will never tell you to go do something that his word tells you is wrong. That is the great test for did God really speak to me? Let me tell you, there is a great need that every one of us in this room have to hear the voice of God every day in our life, to hear God's voice in our heart, to be directed and led by God. How is it that you hear the voice of God? What, what is it that, that puts you most in tune with the voice of God? What is it? For some people, it's praise, not just listening to praise, but praising God yourself. And if that is, and that many times, boy, it just lights my fire to, to praise him. Sometimes it is just being in his word. And, and that is for me. Every time I am more and more in the word of God, I hear the voice of God. I hear, I'm not talking about an audible voice, but I'm hearing God. He takes one of those verses of scripture and he sort of hardwires it right into my heart. 
This is what I've been trying to get you to do, Mark. This is the change I want you to make in your life. A rhema is what it's called, a word from God where he takes his word and he sort of hardwires it into your life. I'm going to tell you every day of our life we need to be hearing from God. And one of the ways in which we deal with this whole issue of depression is we get ourselves back physically and then we open up our heart to be able to hear from God again. How long has it been? How long has it been since you really heard from God? Would you open your heart to him? Notice what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice. Now, God is the one who brought the wind, and he's the one that brought the earthquake, and he's he's the one that brought the fire. But his voice was not in them. His voice was in the still, small voice. And what is he saying? You know what? You can have a whole lot of dramatic events in your life, but it doesn't mean that's me. I'll speak to you far more than the dramatic events in your life. I'll speak to you far more and far clearer in the still, small voice. I want you to get calm. I want you to get quiet. I want you to come before my presence. This is what he is saying to us. Here's the third thing, and the last thing is this. Let yourself begin seeing God-directed positive goals again. Get yourself physically together. Begin to hear the voice of God again. And then let God begin to direct you toward positive goals again. And this is the the amazing thing, the passage that takes you surprise. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. And the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmai, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, Elisha, son of Zaphat, from Abel, uh, Maloah, to succeed you as prophet. And when I read this, I did a double take. What? It sounds like he's giving him a laundry list of, I need you to go do this and this and this. Do you not understand, God? He's depressed. Well, God fully understands, and here's what God is doing. God is saying, I'm not finished with you. You're not going to die, and I'm not going to kill you. I want to use you, and I'm not done with you. And here's a list of things. Okay, here's your new assignments. In other words, you've got a hope and a future. You've got something that I can use. Would you open your heart again and let me use your life? The sooner we can get back to doing the will of God again, realizing, knowing we matter. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to this world. The faster the depression 
will be gone. And as a side note, he then says this, verse 18, and as far as you being the only thing I got in the world, well, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I got a lot of other people. I don't have to have you, but I want you, and I can use you. Are you, are you in? If you're in, I can use you big time. Get yourself physically together again. You, you, you're, you're worn out. Start hearing the voice of God again and start receiving from God the new assignments and get going again. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and, oh God, we need this today. Father, we recognize that life just can do a number on us and just wear us out and, and oh God, we need you. And Lord, I pray that today in the hearts of many that are here who are just so wiped out, that, Lord, this would be the moment that you'd bring hearts and souls back to you. Father, I pray that you'd give us the opportunity to see Jesus again high and lifted up and to see where we fit in, in the whole scheme of what you're doing and how you can use us and how much you love us. And God, I pray you'd move in hearts. There are some in this room, Father, just need to come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Come and receive Jesus as their Savior. And there's some in this room that just need to come and join this church and get their heart right. And God, start plugging into this place and serving you. But Father, there are some in this room who just need somebody else to pray for them. Move in hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.